0: Fell right down that rabbit hole, so reality is questionable. Try but you just can't let it go. These two right here pull it on the show. It's paranormal, Overload with southern hospitality. Hard that murder may have tipped while discussing immortality. Locations with a dark past, history that comes to life. Hillbillies with a knack for everything that goes bump at night. Hope it's thinking to you be by yourself. These two are heavy, turning on the lights. Mixing in a little
1: comedy to make sure it all fits in just right. Hey. Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Story. Now here's your hosts, Jerry and Tracy Paul, and their dog Ninja. Hey Tracy. Hey Jerry.
2: Let me tell you about the latest true crime podcast that I've been binging, Morning Cup of Murder.
1: Ooh, that sounds interesting.
2: You remember those desktop calendars that would tell you what happened on that day in history?
1: Yes, I always loved those.
2: Well, Morning Cup of Murder took that idea and turned it into a daily podcast that now has over 850 episodes that dive into serial killers, cults, cold cases, murders, and more.
1: Wow, that sounds awesome.
2: Morning Cup of Murder is the best way to start your day because each episode is less than 10 minutes long, so it is perfect to listen to while you're having that first cup of coffee or tea in the morning.
1: Well, it sounds great, it sounds just like it's just long enough.
2: Morning Cup of Murder can be heard everywhere that you listen to podcasts. So check out Morning Cup of Murder today. Hey guys, welcome to episode 299 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry.
1: And I'm Tracy. Happy Easter, Bok Bok!
2: Now that never gets old.
1: <laughs> I hope everybody had a nice Easter with their families today, and... We had an Easter bunny in our yard this morning, so that was nice.
2: And Passover, if you celebrate Passover. Yes. I think that was this weekend as well. Yes. Obviously, especially in the holiday time, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thanks to all of you. Keep us safe every single day.
1: Absolutely. You guys are angels. We pray for you guys every day. We'll never forget what sacrifice you are making for us.
2: Absolutely. All right, Tracy. This has been one of those weeks, and it it always, there's an uptick around the holidays. It's just the way it is. But we have talked to uh, an extra amount of people this week that are struggling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for us, there is a benefit to talking to you guys that I don't even think you realize. Every time one of you reach out to us because you feel that we're safe to talk to, or you feel comfortable talking with us, that is a huge compliment to us.
1: That it is.
2: And it makes us realize that what we do is is worth doing for way other reasons than just entertainment purposes.
1: That's very true. And even though you guys call us and we listen and talk to you and stuff like that, and it really helps Jerry and I as well as far as I don't know. Sometimes, you know, sometimes we need to talk, but sometimes it's just it's just refreshing to sit back and listen, and just try to offer you guys any kind of advice that you know weren't very. You're not professionals by any means, but in the end, it helps us in the in in a way too. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? I don't know if I'm saying that right or not, but
2: um, it gives us a sense of purpose,
1: and it does. And, you know, I hate to say it, but sometimes I don't think I have a sense of purpose. <laughs> and, I mean, I feel that some days. And uh, But you guys really help us out just as equally. So we appreciate you guys so much. And, you know, we're glad that you reach out to us and reach out to the group. Our group, I swear I can't tell you enough how much we love everybody in that group. You guys are so awesome. And we're so thankful for you guys. Um, then, you know, if you feel like... You don't want to go that route. There is an 800 number that you could call, and it's 800-273-8255. You can also text us 741-741. Um, they are really great about answering right, right away and getting back with you guys and all that. So we've heard that from several people. Um, but we got just want you to know that we're always here for you. It doesn't matter what time or day or night. Please just reach out.
2: Absolutely. So Tracy, tonight's story is, I thought it was one that I, I, it's going to be one I bet most people haven't heard of, which I've really been trying in the last year to find those stories that most people haven't heard of. I know
1: you have, honey, you have.
2: But I thought this one was kind of cool. It's a little different than some of the stories that we've told, but unlike next week's story, which is (laughs) going to be... um, really different than the normal stories we tell. we got a cult story coming up for you, and this one is gruesome. It's not going to be kid-friendly, and it may not be some adult-friendly if you're kind of squeamish. So yeah. I'm giving you the heads up, and we'll, we will give a disclaimer next week before we start that uh, it's uh it's one that, oh, man, I just recently found out about this cult. It happened in the 70s, and I don't know why this doesn't get mentioned more with some of the bigger ones that are always thrown around.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest with you guys, I am not looking forward to this at all. Um, I've seen uh, some of what's happening, and it's very disturbing, so I'm probably gonna lose it a couple times, and I'm not, I don't want to, but these stories, that just reach into my soul, and you know, it's just, it's just heartbreaking.
2: And on top of that, that's the story that we're going to be doing at the live show in Louisville.
1: Yay! So people are going to see me cry in real life. (laughs) Yay!
2: So if you come there, you're going to get to hear us do something we've never done at a live show. We've always done a paranormal story in five years of doing this. Yes, so. All right. Also tonight, after we get through with this story, we've got Kalani Ghost Hunter. Kalani's got almost one and a half million TikTok followers.
1: Uh, that is amazing. And I love that name, Kalani.
2: This guy, well, he's his father's Hawaiian. Awesome. And this guy is 23 years old. He has been everywhere. He literally goes to three to five haunted places every week. Every week.
1: What a life. Isn't that great?
2: This guy is so intelligent. I mean, the amount that he knows about equipment, the amount that he knows about the uh, the technological side being, but you would think, because he's been to so many places in such a short period of time, you would think he's been investigating for 40 years.
1: Hmm.
2: I mean, he it's just, amazing. We, if you just heard him talk and even, even more of the off air stuff that we talked about. If you just heard him talking, you didn't see him, you didn't know his age, you would n- not even come close to thinking he's 23 years mm-hmm. old. But he's got a criminal justice background. is something? I mean, he went to college and he was working. I don't remember if this was actually before. Yeah, I think this is actually in the interview. He was working for like a politician in mm-hmm. Tennessee as his executive assistant when he decided to just do this full time.
1: Well, good for him. I mean, he is a go-getter, that's for sure. Yeah,
2: really cool. So you guys are going to like him. So, all right, Tracy, so we obviously spend a lot of time ourselves in the great state of Tennessee. Oh, we love it. I'll be going back there in uh, about nope. a month, oh, matter of fact. yep. Usually we're in the eastern part of Tennessee, in Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, Knoxville area. Central Tennessee, though has often been called the belt buckle of the bible belt
1: mm-hmm, I because heard
2: that. because that, this area obviously that area of the united states is called the bible belt for a reason it's a very religious mm-hmm. area uh has been from you know 161700 yeah, as long the as there's uh-huh. been people there it's and it's through the years it's kind of stayed that way that the midwest area or mid area is is the bible belt and because that area of central Tennessee is kind of right in the middle of that. It gets called the belt buckle. The no, buckle.
1: that's cool. I didn't like the belt buckle in back in the old times, so. though.
2: <laughs> like the ones the <laughs> like pilgrims when, had? No,
1: like when I got in trouble.
2: Oh, the ones you got hit with? <laughs> in this area of Tennessee, there are lots of churches throughout the area of all denominations, okay? Even the tiniest of towns seems to have that one small church with several devout members, and its congregation. Church revivals traditionally are important yearly events in the lives of these churchgoers. Would you agree?
1: Oh, yes. I love revivals.
2: These revivals would typically take place in the summer after the crops have been harvested and the tobacco was curing in the barn.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I say that because tobacco was the primary crop uh, at the time the story took place in Tennessee. For those of you who aren't familiar with revivals, they are still really big today in the South and in some some other parts of the country, but I know it's really popular in the South. I'm not really sure which religions do revivals. I do know that it's really big with Baptists, but mm-hmm. I know some of the other religions also do them. And I, mean, I want to say maybe-
1: Methodists do it. I want to say
2: Pentecostal, mm-hmm. and, but I'm not 100% sure and I don't want to speak about yeah. somebody's religion and not know- Not
1: know the facts. But right. I,
2: Yeah, right. So- I know the Baptists are big, but I know there are other religions that Mm -hmm. do it. Now, sometimes the revivals take place in a church, but other times, and oftentimes I should probably say, they take place in a big tent, and they usually last about a week. Mm -hmm. These revivals are like regular church on steroids. You have guests come from all over, and sometimes you have guest preachers and stuff like that. You have lots of fiery preaching and a festive get-together with family and friends.
1: That is true. Got so Some good eating, too.
2: Yeah. So let's get set up for our story. This story is going to take place in what is now known as Big Springs, Tennessee. Big Springs was founded by a man by the name of Epineeter Carlock.
1: What? What?
2: Epineeter Carlock was his name.
1: What? That it is could be, kind of a funky uh, name. Technically,
2: it could be Carlock. Yeah. But I'm not sure.
1: That's a fun name.
2: He first settled there in 1838. He was kind of traveling through the area and he stopped to, you know, water his horse. He took a look around at the beautiful hills and the fertile valley and he decided that this was the place that he wanted to call home. So before too long, other settlers established farms in the area. There was an old buffalo trail basically Mm -hmm. where i guess literally a place where buffalo had worn out walking Uh yeah that was eventually converted into a stagecoach route that connected nashville to chattanooga okay now obviously this opened the door for even more people to come settle there because now you had a way that went straight past it
1: isn't it weird how how would you know which way to go like how do you know which way is chattanooga how do you know which way you know what I'm saying? Ain't that weird to have? Well,
2: because the- Nashville, if you're in Nashville, Chattanooga would be to the east.
1: Well, I wouldn't so, help me now because I don't well, know which way would east be. <laughs> but
2: see, people have compasses back then. Oh, that's true. So I they guess. could use a compass or they could use the North Star. And wherever the star is, you know that's north. So based by north, you know where southeast and west are.
1: Aren't we lucky we have GPS? <laughs> like seriously?
2: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so... A lot of people started settling there, and soon the little town became known as Carlockville, or Carlockville, whatever. I don't know how he pronounced his name. In 1846, a preacher by the name of A.J. McNabb, he decided that he was going to build a Baptist church there. I don't know if the church that we're going to talk about is the church that he built. Okay. Or if there was one built afterwards. Afterwards. Because sometimes they would build, like, basically a little shack Uh and just hold church there until they could get the funds for a church. Sure, sure. You'll see why that comes into play a little bit later, but I'll bring it up when when it comes back up. He called the church New Hope. Now, for many years, the locals would come to the church every Wednesday and twice on Sunday to hear the preacher preach about the torments of hell and the rewards of heaven. In the summer he would lead them on a week-long revival right there at the little white church that sat on the side of the hill. This went on for several decades with nothing really of any need to speak about. Just, Mm -hmm. you know, your average, everyday church stuff. But that was going to change in the late 1880s. It was the revival to end all revivals.
1: Oh,
2: man. One that's still talked about today by the people in the area.
1: What? What did we miss?
2: It was late August, and like previous years, everyone prepared for the revival. That meant that the the men made sure that the spring was cleaned out and that the horses were shooed. The women washed and ironed all the family's best clothes, and they cleaned up the house in case they had visitors. They also did all of the baking and the cooking.
1: It was hotter than a biatch out there.
2: Guarantee. On the day of the revival, people came from near and far. Those who came from the other side of the hill, they would stay with friends and relatives. That's and nice. Those who didn't have a horse or buggy would walk to the service, shoes in hand.
1: They walk barefooted.
2: Yes, floated. yes, so they wouldn't get their shoes dirty. They didn't dirty. want to get
1: their shoes dirty? Aww.
2: Just before arriving, the women would wash their feet. And put on their shoes and and use any kind of makeup or anything, mostly store-bought makeup, to print themselves.
1: Nice. Why can't they just clean their shoes when they got there? Like, wore them and then got there and cleaned their shoes?
2: I don't know. I mean, I'd imagine. I, I don't know. I don't even want to guess.
1: Hmm. I mean, it wouldn't be so bad if you could, like, walk on grass or something.
2: Well, I'm sure there was a lot of grass. Yeah.
1: There. I mean, I could have done that. You know me. I don't like to wear shoes anyway, so.
2: So, on the night in question. No one can really remember what the topic was, but it must have been one mighty powerful sermon. Because according to the legend, the rafters of the church started to shake as he spoke of the demons and the terrors of sin and damnation.
1: What'd he do? Sermon sermon a demon?
2: (laughs) You're closer than you think. Oh, no. The more he preached about fire and brimstone, the more real it seemed to the congregation. Exactly what happened next has been disputed, even among those who live in Big Springs today. One thing that is not disputed is that something happened that night. So, the preacher had reached his emotional peak of his sermon. It's as if he made something manifest right in front of the congregation's eye. A loud noise was heard near the pulpit close to where the preacher was standing. Some said that it sounded like a tin plate of coins had fallen to the floor. That would make a racket.
1: Oh, yeah, it would.
2: Others said that it sounded like big log chains that were shaking and rattling. And yet others said that the noise started as a slow and low rumble in the attic. Then a light appeared in the attic. The light floated downwards and landed in front of the pulpit. As the light descended, it took the shape of a barrel. A barrel full of chains. This barrel then started to roll and it rumbled straight down the middle of the church aisle in between the pews. As it did, smoke and flames shot out both ends of the barrel. The pews began to tumble over as it passed by. People weren't sure if the pews fell because something supernatural or if they were being knocked over by all the people that were trying the hardest to get out of the path of the barrel. What is certain is that the barrel struck terror in the heart of everyone in the church.
1: Well, Lord, I would think so.
2: Outside the church on the steps was a gentleman by the name of Clem Banks. He had stepped out to... Get some fresh air because you know it had to be hot in that place in August inside with a bunch of people.
1: Of course. I mean, they got a flaming barrel coming at you.
2: (laughs) He hears all this commotion outside. And he starts up the stairs to go see what's going on. At that time, the barrel burst through the door, spewing flames and smoke. It rattled down the steps and straight for him. Luckily, Clem got out of the way and watched the barrel go down the steps, followed by almost everyone that was inside the church. The barrel rolled around the churchyard and spooked the horses and the mules. The animals broke loose and they took off, all except for one mule that was stubborn.
1: <laughs> and it didn't
2: say what happened to the mule, it just said only one of them stayed. Some of the church members had actually taken refuge by hiding underneath the church's crawl space. And after a few minutes, which probably seemed like an eternity, The barrel then rode down the hill and disappeared into a patch of woods. Dazed and bewildered, the churchgoers came out from their hiding places, dusted themselves off, and proceeded to walk home. I wonder if the preacher was like, hey, we're not done yet. I don't know.
1: Jeez, I don't know about that.
2: (laughs) Most of the animals had returned back to their respective barns. They were shivering and half scared to death much like their owners. In the week to come, there was plenty of talk about the barrel. It was definitely supernatural, but what did it mean? Mm -hmm. What was the purpose of it showing up? It was generally interpreted that some great sin must have been committed by a member of the church. It must have been the preacher. No. The truth would actually be more alarming than what people were thinking. You see, years earlier, a traveling peddler came through town. And he had taken a night of lodging with one of the church members. The church member found out that the peddler had a large sum of money on him. So he killed him and took the money. Oh no. He was so overcome with guilt that he gave that money to the church to help build the church that was currently there. The building itself was tainted with blood money. Now, I said earlier that I wasn't sure if the church at that time was the original church or not. Mm -hmm. The research I did on this said that at one point that we're going to get to, that they eventually built a new church and that church had served 50 years. Mm -hmm. So that seems like it would be the original, uh, at least of, uh, of the true... Building, but if that story is true, then the church must have started as something else, and then that's how that the main church got built. Does that make sense?
1: No, it does make sense. So the guy confessed to what he done it to the preacher, or is- I don't
2: know if that's the case, or if they found out later after the church was built, or I'm not really sure exactly what happened. Now, if you think that that visit by the barrel was the end of the story, you would be wrong. It was actually just the beginning of a series of events that was going to take place that the church was kind of the focal point on. To most in the community, the area became the home to ghostly presences, haints, and malevolent spirits, especially at night. The night following the barrel's appearance, people claimed to hear the sound of rattling chains coming from inside the church. Other passerbys claimed to hear the what appeared to be benches tumbling over and over inside. All of this while the building was locked up for the evening. Not long after this instance, another church member by the name of Aunt Dolly had an experience. She saw weird lights coming at her from the other side of the creek near the church. She wasn't the only one to see mysterious lights. Quint Summers reports, that an egg-shaped light had followed his buggy along that same stretch of road. After the next Wednesday night service, members of the congregation were heading home in their wagons. Many attested that the stars began to fall all over them. This was not a simple case of a meteor shower or shooting stars. These stars, or whatever they were, they started cascading down all over them. And the ground around them was covered by whatever it was that was falling.
1: Well, that's kind of cool, I bet.
2: I, when I think of it, I kind of think of like a hailstorm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Especially with it being in the summer and all that. Maybe well, it was it a hailstorm, Yeah. I think they would know the difference between stars Hell, and ice. Yeah. But anyway, this scared all the churchgoers and their horses. These events went much deeper, though. These weren't just strange lights and falling stars. Apparitions soon started to appear to pass her by. A general dread of the church and its graveyard hung over the community. Several people even had encounters with a headless ghost.
1: Mm, Want to nice. hear about one of them? Yeah, sure.
2: Ed Prater was riding his horse one night. His route just happened to take him past New Hope Church. He was unfamiliar with any of the stuff going on. Okay. He wasn't right there. He didn't know about any of this. He just happened to be going by. A headless ghost jumped onto the back of his horse and rode part of the way home with him.
1: Wait, on that guy that was just passing through his horse?
2: He jumped on the horse with him.
1: Holy crap.
2: Ed was so badly shaken up by the experience that as soon as he got home, as soon as he could literally see his house, he jumped off the horse, he ran into the house, and and left left the still-saddled horse on its own to just run around outside.
1: Oh, my Lord. I don't know how he didn't jump off the horse at all. People like, oh my gosh.
2: (laughs) Others have heard a crying baby when they pass in front of the church at nighttime. It's said that if one walks over to a certain tombstone and touches it, much like a parent would touch the side of an infant's cradle, the crying would suddenly stop. Hmm. Now, Tracy, not everyone, of course, encountered these apparitions. It was widely thought that some people were just more susceptible to being haunted than others. For example, old Billy Brown. Billy was a preacher and thus a godly man. Old Billy was so sensitive to the spirit world that he would not go anywhere unless he was accompanied by his grandchildren. Billy believed that if he went out by himself, that he would see everything and would be certain to run into some malevolent entity. And that was an experience that he could definitely do without. I'm uh, sure. Granny Todd said, Some folks can see hints, and some can't.
1: She's just trying to be a poet.
2: Granny Todd seemed very wise. Yeah? She should work for Hallmark. For 50 years, the little church on the hillside by the springs had been the social and spiritual heart of the small rural community. But the wooden frame building had seen better days. Not just physically, but the supernatural reputation had taken a toll on its congregation and the community. Well,
1: that's what I was going to ask you. Did a lot of people continue to go to the church? I think it really... Just went downhill Yeah, after it really that? went
2: downhill, literally, because it's mm-hmm. on the side of a hill. But <laughs> in 1901, the old church was torn down. A new church was built right across the road on some level ground. It said that once that last nail was put into the new church, all of the paranormal strangeness had gone. There was peace in the valley once more.
1: Wow. And
2: Elvis wrote, uh, sang a song about it.
1: I know. I love that song.
2: Tracy, it's been over 140 years since these strange happenings at Big Spring started, but there are still many in the area that will not pass that way after dark.
1: No kidding.
2: So my question would be, do you think that barrel was the inspiration for Donkey Kong?
1: <laughs> it could have been. <laughs> That's a crazy story.
2: It is crazy. Yeah. Like you said, it's, it's a little more, I don't know if you could, I mean, there's a lot of paranormal stuff went on, but because it had happened in the church it almost ha- and it almost happened in a revival, mm-hmm. it's almost like, is it more religious or is it more paranormal? You know.
1: But why a barrel of all things? I don't
2: know. And a barrel full of chains. Yeah. So my question is, I got a couple of questions. First of all, so that place was there over 50 years when it got tore down. And I tried to do the math on when the guy started church and all that. So I'm trying to figure out when this murder would have happened because it sounded like the church was there almost from the from the very beginning. Yes. So but the guy gave the money for the church, it said, to be built. So I'm just confused on, you know
1: the new church or the old church? No, that
2: was the old church. So he he when he killed the guy and he took his money. Mm-hmm. He gave the money, and that's the money that the church was built with. so right. was that back when the church was built very from the very beginning?
1: I mean, it kind of sounds like it. And I
2: That's the way the math kind of works out.
1: Right, right. right.
2: And then of course you never know how true any of this is. That's that true. could just be the rumor. So that maybe there was no barrel and there was no, you know, who knows? Yeah,
1: but you know, when you think about the 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 man that killed him, or well he killed that man and he felt guilty and gave the money to the church, I mean that's kind of Yucky, I think. It is. Because you, you're you giving the church money. Blood money. Yeah, blood money. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that would eat my soul. First of all, that I did kill somebody. Second of all, that here I am giving it to religious. Or they shall not kill. You know what I'm saying? It's just too That's much. That's why I think,
2: like, when I remember that movie with Denzel Washington, American Gangster. It's like... He's always in church with, like, his mom and stuff. Oh, and, yeah. Right. But then, and then as soon as he get out of church, he's setting up a hit. Or Yeah.
1: I I'm, like, I'm not crazy. It just seems
2: so funny that, that like, so many of these gangsters mm-hmm. are, like, really religious yes. on top of it. It's like, yeah. maybe you don't understand how religion works.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. I don't know, honey. That's that's a pretty wild story. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, so I'd, I'd piss myself if a big old barrel come down <laughs> shooting flames out of his butt.
2: I'm trying to think of if it was... I'm trying to picture it because if it's open on both sides where you can see the chains, mm-hmm. but then there's fire shooting out of it too. I'm trying to figure out what's keeping the chains from rolling out of. It. I don't, oh, know. Lord, I don't maybe know. I'm we
1: can sit here. And- I'll probably think about that all night while I'm trying to go to sleep. <laughs> Dang it!
2: All right, so we're gonna take a quick sponsor break, and then uh, we'll be back, obviously, to talk about our t-shirt winners from uh, from last week, mm-hmm. and I think we'll roll it into something else. We'll aside, we'll We we'll probably give away some more t-shirts, but. I want to remind everybody real quick, real quick, before we take our sponsor break, in six days, the Louisville live event. There are still some tickets available. Come see us, Mysterious Circumstances, Justin Rimmel, and uh, Nick and Rob from Brohio. We might have another special guest or so there. Uh, Come see it. Tickets are still available, but you better snag them and uh, get to Louisville.
1: Yeah, you guys come on out and see us. Let's have a good time.
2: All right, so I mentioned the Louisville show. You can get tickets for that at hillbillyhorrorstories.com. And uh, you can check out our other live events, including the cruise. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it this week. Because we're going to get to these reviews. We decided last week to pick a couple of winners. Mm-hmm. We did give one of our t-shirts away, and the other one hasn't responded yet, so they may not have l- heard the episode yet. Right. Or they may not have even known that we were drawing for t-shirts, because they didn't give their name, so they may not have known. They yes. just left the review. But I think what we're going to do is next week... We're gonna do it again. And people who sense because there were some people who got the reviews in and they left their name and it was after we'd already done it. So we're gonna put all of you in from this week who right. just or from last week that just missed it, we're gonna put you in there too. Yay. So this week, anybody who leaves a review, even if you've already left one, leave another review. Put your fir- at least your first name and initial, mm-hmm. so we, we can try to contact you, or at least you'll hear your name and know it's you. Yes. Do that, and we'll take all of the ones that we received this past week and all the ones for next this week. coming week, and we'll put you in for a drawing.
1: Sounds wonderful.
2: So there we go. And we'll do two like we did this past week.
1: Yes. yahoo Hi,
2: right, Tracy. So what do you got so far this week?
1: All right. Well, so far this week, I have got Jason B., Derek Bowen, Mojo Lobster, Amber T. Girl, Amanda Amandra Amanda I did it again Oh my gosh. Amanda from PA sorry Amanda uh, Nate Sherman, Mindy from Missouri, Courtney Hennion, Ethan Rice, Mike MacArthur, Augusto Caesar Hunt, and Brenda. Yay!
2: Yeah, it was a good week for reviews. It
1: was. Yes, it was. Um, our Patreons are Rena K. and Tammy Goodell. Thank you so much for your support. We appreciate y'all so much. Uh I was going to ask, should we put, like, the Patreons, too? We could... Or,
2: Maybe we'll do that at a later time.
1: Okay, you want to do that because we—I think we have got some cool stuff we're going to come up with, and um, we'll let you guys in on after, after we get everything worked out. So,
2: yeah, um. we are working—we're working on something for you guys. The only problem with the Patreon thing is, like, if you're already a Patreon supporter,
1: mm-hmm. it's
2: like, what do you do? You don't re-up. To Patreon. We're like, you can leave a new review and if you've already left a review. So it makes it harder
1: oh, well. to try
2: to figure out, you know, mm-hmm. and you don't want to leave out people who already are patrons.
1: Well, that's true. We'll figure it out. We'll have it. We'll, we'll get, get something uh, fixed out there for you guys. So, but thank you guys so much for your views. You are are, are so kind.
2: We were given a t-shirt away every month on Patreon. Mm-hmm. Just amongst our Patreon supporters and Patreon told us we couldn't do that. Yeah. We can, we can technically still do it, yeah. but we can't list it. Oh. On Patreon as a gift. Oh. Technically.
1: I don't know why they can tell us what we can and can't do. Because
2: they said legally, we can't just give away give away something to Patreon supporters. You have to open it up to everybody.
1: Okay. Well, we kind of are opening it up to everybody, right? <laughs> so, bite me, Patreon. All
2: right. So, we're going to listen to Kalani Ghost Hunter. And he's got some really cool stories, but I think you're going to be impressed with this young man. Hey, guys, I'm excited. Every once in a while, we have that guest on that leads to other guests. And we had Johan on from Haunted, Kentucky a few months back. And he sent me a message and said, hey, here's somebody that you might want to talk to. And lo and behold, it was somebody that I was aware of, but never even thought I could get on the show. Kalani Ghost Hunter is nice enough to join us tonight. And uh, thank you so much for coming
0: on with us. Yeah, I appreciate it. Johan's a good friend of mine and he had nothing but good things to say so I'm, I was excited for the opportunity and some of you
2: probably know who uh, Kalani is and some of you may not uh, because it really depends on on what you're used to seeing like if you're really into the TikTok world you probably know who he is because he has 1.3 million followers constantly putting out videos from uh, every haunted place you could think of and Uh, Kalani, this is what you do. You travel around the country and just shoot video after video. Like You were telling me uh, before we actually came on, tell everybody where you were just last week.
0: Yeah. So, you know, last week we wrapped up uh, Fairfield County Infirmary, Madison Seminary, Greenville Manor, and Post Town School, literally all in like an eight-day period.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean... You know, people talk about how busy Tracy and I are, but I mean, that's nothing compared to the amount of traveling that you do to get these things done. And, you know, like I said, people can go to Kalani Ghost Hunter on TikTok and see stuff. But what's the other social media that you're on right now as far as uh, being able to watch your stuff?
0: So um, YouTube, I've actually started producing full episodes that have a lot more of the history and interviews from either the owner or somebody very knowledgeable of the locations. Um, and I'm planning on doing that for everywhere I go. So normally what kind of got me started was live streaming, but with live streaming, you lose a lot of that history and interviews and stuff. Even if you put them in there, um, you know, if something were to happen where I can't get that footage back, then it's kind of lost. So pretty much every location I go to now, I do live streaming and a post-produced video. So YouTube would probably the be-, be the best, um, secondary option to watch the content.
2: And when you go to these locations, are you going primarily by yourself or what's the size crew that you travel with to get this done the appropriate way?
0: So when I first started, when it was strictly live streaming, it was usually just me. Um, Not because of any other reason other than, you know, if you've been with a large group on an investigation, you know, it's very hard to kind of determine if something's evidence or if it's just pollution. Because, you know, people talk, people whisper, stomachs gurgle. You know, it's just so hard to actually get down and see if you're getting evidence or if you're just getting, like I said, pollution. So that was one reason I wanted to start alone. And it's also it's also a tagline when you're like, you know, I'm at, you know, this location alone. People are like, wait a minute, did this guy just say he's here <laughs> alone? Which, you know, because we're used to watching shows and you know they've got a whole crew, you know, whoever they have in the show, it's it's not often you see somebody just somewhere alone. Now, with me switching to post-producing something afterwards, I had to add an additional person just to to film me doing it. So, uh, Johan's actually been doing my, a lot of my camera work for me, um, at some of these locations. So now I'm up to a two person team compared to my one person team.
2: Yeah. It it probably makes it a little easier to have a bigger crew when you get the budget. Some of those shows have.
0: (laughs) Absolutely.
2: So like a lot of these locations you go to, uh, like say the, the four or, or five that you went to last week, do they usually make you pay for the investigation or do they usually invite you in for the publicity?
0: Now it has changed a little bit, but, um, a lot of the locations I still have to pay. Now, sometimes that amount may be reduced, but what's actually been even more kind of confusing to me is some locations will actually charge me more. um, I'm not going to name drop people, but there was a few locations that I've actually reached out to. And once they figure out about the size following that you have they essentially put you in this box and they say, well, because you have so many followers, you're either going to a, have to let us collaborate and be in your video or B, you have to pay us an additional fee, which has been anywhere from 150 to a thousand dollars on top of the location price.
2: Now, so, is that a deal breaker know. in some cases?
0: It is Um, because, you know, in my eyes, especially one of these locations was brand new. I mean, hasn't even been open for more than two months. So they obviously don't really have the track record to show of any activity or any, you know, what to expect. So in my eyes, that would be somewhere you'd want somebody to come in and bring more eyes to your location so that you can start filling the calendar. But it was kind of quite the opposite where they made it so much more stricter on me because I live streamed. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm not, I'm, I, there's thousands of other locations I could go to. I'm not going to break my back to, to, to do this for you. So I still pay for most of them. Don't get me wrong, but there, it is kind of shifting to, um, either like a reduced rate or people will invite me in or, you know, well, you do this for us, you do an event for us and we'll give you the location for whatever. So, I mean, it, there's definitely a lot more play now than there was in the beginning, but a lot of them still want that money which I understand.
2: Sure. How far in advance do you usually have these things set up? Like we, like the three or four you went to last week, did you know you were going there four
0: months ago? No, I usually, this sounds crazy, but my planning is usually only about two weeks out. Now, the only time I don't stick to that is if it's a bigger location that I know I have to essentially plan in advance. So like two examples that come to mind right now, um, June, I'm going to Trans-Allegheny and July, I'm going to Penhurst. Those are just two locations that you kind of have to, um, plan out because they're, they're so sought after even on weekday events. It's, it's kind of hard to get into those if you plan. So after, after the fact.
2: Penhurst is absolutely awesome. If you've never been there, we got to go a couple of years ago. We had kind of a private, uh, tour. It was during their Halloween season and uh, we were able to come during the day and got to see the, all the all the buildings that were available to see and they pretty much just just said hey uh, go and look around and let us know when you're done so we didn't even have a tour we i mean a guided tour we just kind of went on our own and man what an awesome place so uh, i'm sure you'll have plenty of luck out there
0: yeah i'm i'm excited for that one in trans allegheny they're not cheap trans allegheny i think was right at 2000 dollars <laughs> but you know they're they're just there's some phenomenal locations out there and like What's crazy is I don't mean to steer off, but the place I just went to um, Greenville Manor in Pennsylvania, it's it's not very big. It's it's relatively affordable as well right now, but I have never in my life had the amount of activity I had there in one night anywhere. And I don't really say things like that, but I had a a camera get ripped off the ceiling. I had a door slam behind me. Um, like very, like when you think of like Hollywood movies with stuff actually moving, that poltergeist activity that's so few and far between that we actually get to experience, it It was rolling in that house. And Johan was with me. Johan was ready to retire that night. <laughs> so that, that place is insane. We
2: had an experience like that uh, a couple of weekends ago at Whispers Estate up in Indiana. I mean, it was. I mean, we had balls get knocked off of uh, uh, the bed three or four times. We had a door open. We had uh, flashlights going off and on on cue. I mean, I've I've never experienced that much in one place. And all that happened within like the first two hours we were there.
0: It was amazing. And I don't know if it happened to you, but that was similar to us because I had my music box going off, flashlights, like everything. And then all of a sudden it hit about four o'clock in the morning and then it was just silent. Like there was there was nothing else. It kind of just... And it comes in waves always, but it was definitely like whatever was there used all of its energy in the beginning. And then by the time we got to the end, it's like, all right, I'm done. You guys get out of here.
2: I was talking to uh, uh, Annie Weaves a couple of nights ago, and she was talking about whispers. And then, uh, but she also went, she went to uh, the old hospital on College Hill in West Virginia. And we're going to be doing a live event there uh, in August, but she's had a chance to already go check it out. And she said that they had a lot of stuff happen the first couple hours they were there and then it died off. And her theory was that on um, places like that, that's still fairly new that have not been investigated a ton that they think that the spirits are so anxious that they pretty much, like you said, they use all their energy in the very beginning. Then the rest of the night's kind of dead, so to speak.
0: Yeah. College Hill. I've been there shoot probably four times now. I have a really good relationship with the, the two owners. They're really good people. Um, yeah, I will say for there, it's very similar too. It's like when the night first starts, she'll start getting stuff, and then it just completely dies out. Um, and that, that may be a good theory uh, because, you know, a lot of these places, I will say the, the, the places I get the best activity in terms of something that really opens my eyes and gets the blood pumping are places that have not been, quote-unquote, tapped as much. You know, because I've been to Waverly a few times, and even with Waverly, it's almost like – The only interaction you're going to get there is whatever they actually want to give you because of how many people go in and out of that building. That's true. Um, So, you know, I've been to the biggest, I've been to the smallest, but I definitely can see a trend where smaller locations that have not been investigated nearly as much seem to have a lot better activity in terms of that physical stuff.
2: What, what are a handful of your favorite places to go that you've had? Like, and like you just discussed a while ago, having, uh, the place up in Pennsylvania, having all the activity. What are some of the other places that you've just been blown away by? What kind of activity you had?
0: So Post um, Town, post-town, Post Town, Post Town's interesting because we've actually had locker doors open and closed, and I actually had a door open on me there on camera on live stream. Um, so Post Town had quite a bit of activity for me. But again, I tell people all the time, you know, it's it's very similar to fishing in the sense of you can have the most expensive boat most expensive rods the best spot but you can go one day and catch absolutely nothing and you know even with my hot spot locations that's kind of how i feel because i was just at post town it was very quiet uh we did a little table tipping and got some stuff going but you know post towns one um but what actually got me into the paranormals when i was 11 i was at the shiloh battlefield in tennessee which Mm -hmm. i don't know if you've ever been to the shiloh battlefield but um, they have one spot called the Bloody Pond, which because of how much iron is still left in it, it has that reddish tint from all the blood that was in the water. But I was on a Boy Scout camp out running in the woods with my buddy at 3 a.m. up to no good like any, any young, young adult would, would be doing. Um, and I actually saw a Civil War drummer boy, and it looked so real to me that I thought it was a reenactor. So I spoke to this drummer boy, and it turned around, and it was real dirty or he was real dirty, I should say. And his English was weird. Like I couldn't process, like I could tell what he was saying, but it sounded like he was talking to me in a weird accent. Right. And I was like, what are you doing out here? And he goes, have you seen my platoon? And I'm like, no. Like I thought he was the reenactor <laughs> because the next day was when the reenactment started. Anyways, he goes, y'all be safe out here. And he's walking by us. And as he walks, we turned around and then I just watch him just evaporate into into the air. And I looked at my buddy just to make sure that I wasn't, you know, imagining this, and he looked at me and then we just took off and went to sleep. So that was where my interest essentially like started. Um, so Shiloh, any battlefield, I love battlefields. Gettysburg has that same that feeling the moment you walk onto the ground, it's like it's charged, just from everything that had gone on there. So I love battlefields, Gettysburg. Um, now you can't really investigate these places, they're very, very particular about what you can and can't do, but they're they're still worth the visit. But post town um Shiloh and then I'm trying to think if there's one more that really sticks out to me
2: have you had a chance to check out the uh, Perryville battlefield yet
0: I haven't done Perryville yet
2: we just did a story okay. on that a couple of weeks ago and uh I, I'm, I'm like you I, I haven't been to a lot of the battlefields I've been to Gettysburg but uh yeah the, there's something about the haunted battlefields that are just different than anything else you know all the you know the reenactors that come across people that they think are reenactors that turn out to be, you know, spirits or whatever. And Perryville has got lots of stories. So I I would imagine that'd be a pretty fun place to check out.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we go off of this idea that especially traumatic experiences could be enough to keep something in a given spot. Um, And, you know, I, I, I believe that, but like, that makes me wonder, I had this conversation with Adam Kimmel, who owns um, Madison Seminary, Fairfield, and partly owns Indiana State. But, you know, I told him, I was like, you know, the more I get into this, the more I question why Why do I think a cemetery would be haunted, right? Because we go off of this idea that, you know, residual hauntings, um, whether traumatic or like positive emotional responses to locations are enough to keep people there. Like, you know, I don't know where I'm going to be buried and, and unless you've got a a pre purchased plot, you're not going to know where you're going to be buried. You know, that's my thing is if I was a spirit and I had that energy to essentially move in that sense, why would I want to go watch my body sit in a hole in the ground that I've never seen in my life?
2: So, same thing. I've always said it never makes, unless you were killed in a cemetery, you've really got no reason to hang around there.
0: Well, and I tell, I, I told Adam, I said, you know, I, I do believe that people do things in cemeteries to conjure activity you know, because I know people that have gone and done Ouija boards in and, and, and cemeteries and they don't do things properly. And then all of a sudden they have stuff happening to them. You know, I have those weird stories that people give me. But, you know, personally, I just don't feel that a cemetery would be haunted. You know, even, even if you were a lonely individual, I feel like you would go to so much, there, there's so many better options than sitting there looking at rocks in the ground. So it's Somebody... just, I don't know.
2: Somebody brought up to me that in some cases you have, let's say somebody's spouse passes away Mm -hmm. and they spend a big part of the rest of their life visiting that cemetery on a regular basis to feel close to their spouse, that it's possible when they pass because they've spent so much time there, that would be a natural place to come back. But I still think that's few and far between.
0: Well, even with that, you know, because is it. Is it really the, the place that is giving them that comfort or the fact that they feel closer to their spouse? Right. So, you know, in my eyes, why would they not find their spouse and be wherever their spouse is? Now, granted, I don't really know how that that all plays out. Right. I don't think any of us do. But, you know, that would be my thought is it's not necessarily the location that has kept you know that energy there it's it's the idea of that person being there that has done that but you know it's just like when you when you go home and you've lived in a home for how many years and you've had people pass in and out of your home you know you can almost feel those people at times in the home regardless if they're buried somewhere else so right. I, you know i i definitely would still stick with the argument that i just feel that there's so many better places that we could we could rest if that's how it goes than a cemetery
2: so Claudia, I got to ask you this. You, uh, you are a younger guy. How long have you been paranormal investigating?
0: So I've been doing it for about four years now. Um, it's, it's definitely a field that people look at you kind of funny whenever you're really young, just because there's, I, I tell people this and it's, you know, there's a lot of experience to be had in this field, but you know, it's all theory, right? There's no experts sure. in theory because you, To be an expert, there'd have to be some basis of fact, and we don't necessarily have a lot of facts to work off of in what we do. Now, what we do have is a lot of ways to try and communicate with things that we can't see or necessarily feel. But, you know, my biggest thing is I'm 23 years old. I've got a degree in criminal justice with a concentration in Homeland Security and liberal arts. I was literally sitting in the desk of a politician in Tennessee as his executive assistant. And then all of a sudden, my content that I decided to start posting, because I'd been investigating before then, but I started posting it, and all of a sudden, it just took off. But, you know, with this field, we we get caught up in names, in celebrity status, because somebody tells us that we should care to watch somebody's stuff, whereas you could have better ideas than anyone on the best TV show. But just because you're not in that role, you're not seen as an expert, so I definitely think this field is – it's archaic in the, in the mindset of we, we've kind of built this basis of knowledge that everything that has come before us is accurate and true, and I just don't necessarily think that's the case. I think there's a lot of things that you could you could have a little bit more strict criticisms on and, and even try different methods in the mindset of it's all theory because we, we don't have any fact to work off of, like I said. Right. So, you know, that's where my my mindset, I think, differs from a lot of people is I think you can be very experienced, especially, you know, you have people that have been doing this for decades. They could be experienced in in the fact that they've gone to so many different places. But, you know, you could do something wrong for 25 years, you know, just because you've been doing something for 25 years doesn't mean you could be doing something right or wrong for 25 years. Right. So I just try and have an open mind. And I, I love getting into theory with folks because then you can kind of see that passion come out in people because then you're kind of digging past that ground level of, you know, the equipment's going off. Well, let's dig a little bit deeper and see like what we actually believe is causing this to happen.
2: Do you use any of your criminal justice background Does that ever come in handy in in what you're doing now? Is there times where a theory that maybe you learned or a way of thinking that you learned can give a different viewpoint on ghost hunting?
0: Well, one that comes to mind is if you think about the paranormal, what's one thing that we always include with episodes, TV shows or anything? It's always eyewitness accounts. Which, you know, it, it, in the paranormal, once you have that experience that makes you a believer, you have that experience and, you know, you, you believe for the rest of your life. But the problem that I have, is once you start diving into the details of experiences, they become flawed because, you know, one of the least credible sources of information in a court of law is eyewitness accounts, because your mind essentially may only have three pieces of the puzzle, but it'll fill in a 15 piece puzzle. Right. So I think we fall victim to that in the paranormal of where. You know, my ovulus says this, this happened, and then this other thing happened on my K2 meter. And then our our mind tries to connect dots that may not necessarily have a correlation. And I think once you you have that and you have these eyewitness accounts of what people are expecting to find at locations or things that they've seen at locations, I think you could have a pretty flawed picture in a very short amount of time. So, you know, I don't use a ton of my criminal justice background in in any other sense other than just having – kind of a more open mind and trying not to connect dots that may not necessarily be there in terms of painting a clear picture
2: well see that's interesting because that's something obviously you've learned is that you know like I've heard for years that eyewitness accounts are only you know a certain percent completely accurate because things change or they or their memory is a little bit off or they you know as years go or, or even days go by their memory changes a little bit from what they thought they saw so, it's you've used that knowledge to initially, you know, turn around and say, hey, just because somebody said it happened this way doesn't mean it actually happened a hundred percent that way. And and I think in the paranormal world, even the skeptics out there, they tend to still they want to believe so much that they they put the they don't take the emotion out of it and they oh well this happened. They said they said this happened. So how do you explain that? Well, you can explain it by maybe it didn't exactly happen like that. Maybe it wasn't quite as crystal clear as the picture was painted so that's a good way to be able to look at it and and to be able to to stay a little more neutral on what may or may not have happened
0: well you know i think i think when you when you start researching locations especially before you go you have a tendency to be a slightly bit more biased because then you're looking for these certain things compared to just kind of being open to what's there so a lot of times You know, Johan will have the backstory of the location, but I just kind of go in knowing nothing, not because of any other reason other than I want to eliminate me looking for answers. Right. right? So if you think about auto suggestion, there's so many people in the paranormal field that fall victim to this where, you know, you run a a birth session and, you know, you hear something and then you say that you heard it and then you tell other people what you heard. They're going to start hearing that regardless if it's there or not. And like even with SD, Esty, so SD's method can still kind of be that way. Um, so what I've actually been doing with my SDs method is I, I call it the Kalani method. It's not Kalani method. It's just SD's <laughs> method with a twist. But I essentially have found a way to run an SB7 and an SB11 off of the same sweep rate and frequency. Um, so I'll, I'll run it on AM and we'll run them either forward and reverse on both devices. But I essentially hook one up to an external speaker and one of them same noise canceling headphones on the individual. But what that does is it gives in my case the viewer an opportunity to actually hear the same things that I'm hearing. They hear what I say and then they can try and decipher if there's actually anything there. The reason I added that, a big proponent or a big component I should say of of kind of what makes me a little bit different is I I am huge into ethical investigations and transparency because there's plenty of people out there that will make stuff happen in that sense. And, you know, that's not why I got into this. I got onto this because I had an experience when I was 11 and I want to try and find a reason why. And I think, you know, if we go to these places and we have to make things happen to to hit view marks, then we've completely defeated the purpose of even going to the place.
2: Can you uh, tell us about your uh, situation you had when you were 11, your experience?
0: Yeah, so like I said, you know, at, at Shiloh, and again, going off of the idea that the details could be flawed a little bit, just because I'm remembering something from that long, but I definitely remember seeing a a little boy. My guess would probably be about eight, and he was in the gray uniform. I mean, everything was to a T. Like I thought he was a reenactor because of how accurate the reenactors try and get their their uniforms. And when he turned around and looked at me, like I said, he was very dirty. He was very, it, it just looked like he was out of place. It looked like he was in the wrong time. And, you know, when we had that experience, I ended up asking my buddy. I'm like, man, did that happen last night? Like, am I dreaming? And he <laughs> looked at me and he's like, it happened. Now he's got a lot of issues now, and I'm not saying they stem from that. But um, it definitely was that eye-opening moment that once you have that, that first experience with, the, with anything paranormal, it's, it's kind of hard to deny that there's something else out there. Now, finding the, the yellow brick road to get to that connecting point is, is the mystery for all of us, but it's definitely enough to keep you going.
2: When you do your live streams, uh, are they typically, how long would you say? 45 minutes, hour, hour and a half? No, so
0: <laughs> when I first started, they would usually be uh, about eight hours um, (laughs) ranging from about 8 PM to about 4 AM, sometimes sooner, sometimes later. Now I only do about four hours, but it's, I'm definitely, and it's hard because you have to assume that no one knows anything. They don't know what kind of equipment I'm using. They don't know what I'm doing. They don't know where I'm at. It's a lot of repetition. It's a lot of here's where I'm at. So that's why I started doing the post-produced videos is so that you know, I didn't have to keep saying that over and over again. I could just say it once, record it, and then put it in a video. Um, but I've definitely had—I uh, think my longest stream was like 15 hours. Wow. So, yeah, it's it's uh it's it's a lot of work, I will say, because you're not entertaining in the sense of you have to make anything happen, but like you have to essentially think in your mind, like why are these people going to spend two hours of their day watching me? So like I sing. I'm pretty stupid at times. And once I get delirious, like from the lack of sleep is when the show really picks up and people, people start laughing because you never know what's going to come out of my mouth.
2: I have seen you doing some singing. You were uh, thinking a hospital, getting on an elevator was singing Daisy. So (laughs) that was a, that was a short TikTok video that I saw. It was only like a minute long, but you were, uh, it seemed like you were having fun. And uh, I'm surprised that that elevator worked because. It looked like it was pretty old.
0: When you go to College Hill, try that elevator out. It is like incredibly smooth for how old that thing is. You literally hit the button, close the door, or close the door, hit the button, and it it is faster and more efficient than the elevators we got today.
2: I'll tell you one it's not like that is the the hotel in uh, Point Pleasant. Well, that thing, I got in that elevator and it scared me to death that, uh, the, the old hotel, the <laughs> man, it was jerking and st- and we were only on like the third floor and I'm like, oh my God, I think I'll just take the steps next
0: time. <laughs> yeah. College Hill there. So I went, the first time I went was in the summer. And let me tell you, that place gets hot. So I'm climbing up and down these four flights of stairs. And that was before they had the elevator fixed. And man, I, I probably lost five pounds of just water weight that night, but oh, wow. Um, when you go in the incinerator room, they still have ashes from the you know, the limbs that they would burn in there. Um if you go in the summertime, which you said you're going in August, right? Yes. If you go when it's hot outside, you walk into that room, you will not forget that stench. Ah. It great. is great. That's something to look forward to. horrible because it heats up all of that equipment or all of that that hardware. And it, it still has that smell. Whew.
2: That's something I wouldn't even plan it on. But now, uh, <laughs> now it's going to be stuck in my head and my nose. But <laughs> it's it's been a blast having you on. And I know you've got some uh, events that are going to be taking place. Tell me, uh, you said you got one going on in uh, Lynchburg, Tennessee, correct?
0: Yeah, so we have one going on in Lynchburg, Tennessee. And what's actually interesting about this one is, again, Johan set it up for me, but it's going to be May 13th and 14th, and it's going to be at the old Lynchburg Jail in the funeral home down there owned by Tennessee Paranormal. I think they're also doing a like a walk, and so one of the packages I think has like some free T-shirts and stuff. So it's going to be a, a really good event. Um, I've actually been to that jail. That, that jail has held uh, – jack daniels before you know it's it's a really unique place and you know i'm excited to be able this is my first i guess public investigation that i've done with people um so there's a lot of people that are looking forward to coming out and experience my madness in person
2: yeah i think lynchburg's where they make jack daniels right
0: it is it is
2: so it's a uh, you know very subpar compared to kentucky whiskey but you know that's just me
0: I'm not, I'm not diving into that. I don't have a dog in that fight.
2: <laughs>
0: so how can everybody
2: find out uh, the best way to keep up with uh, Kalani ghost hunter? Where can they go to?
0: So if you go to uh ghost it should give you all of the links to every social media I'm on. I'm on pretty much all of them um, either under Kalani ghost hunter or Kalani ghost for the ones that won't let me type my whole name out so um, you can find me there,
2: and that's k a l a n i so it be- yep, that's
0: correct, yeah, so my dad's hawaiian my mom's my mom's white so it's it's an interesting mix i've had so many butcherings of my name in my lifetime i've i've gotten it all from everybody, so i'm used to it
2: so have you have you delved into the uh, uh hawaiian folklore or or any of that with with having oh. uh, a father that's
0: the Hawaiian folklore is a trip. Um, I actually did an investigation over there, and it's called right off of Pali Highway, which if you've ever been to Hawaii, all of the locals will tell you. Like even my family told me, you, know, you don't go to Pali Highway at night because there is the lore that King Kamehameha's soldiers will march, the march that they marched back when they first got onto the island of Oahu, um, from the top of Pali Highway down to the ocean. And if you interrupt their march, the lore is you get killed, especially if you don't have any native blood. It's like you don't go out there like that's the lore. But anyways, I'm right off of Polly Highway in a spot called Morgan's Corner. So Morgan's Corner is haunted because there was two or rumored to be haunted, I should say. There was two uh, inmates that got out of the correctional facility and then actually brutally murdered an elderly woman and tortured her and crazy stuff like that. Um, so this is the spot I went to, but I'm doing an investigation and I hear drums beating out of the woods. And, I'm, <laughs> in the middle, and I'm, in the, I'm in the middle of a rainforest. You can't even see your hand. That's how dense it was. And I was like, OK, this this is what I was asking for. But it was pretty awesome. Um, and there's also another part of Hawaiian lore, which my grandmother, who was uh, full blooded, is the minihunis, which the minihunis are like these little men that are up in the the mountains and they'll come down and they like terrorize you and like she thought that they would come and steal her keys like oh grandma can't find her keys the minahunis must have come and took them <laughs> like Hawaiian lore is very interesting um there's so much to it but those are probably my two favorite ones but there's definitely a cultural aspect that they have so much invested in the spirituality and kind of you know, believing that the land has power, that, that mana. Um, But it's definitely a nice mix to have that when you throw in the paranormal stuff, because, you know, you go over there and you talk to people, they almost all believe in ghosts and spirits and the paranormal, but they don't ever want to delve into it. Like they've been warned. You don't want to mess with this stuff. So it's funny because they've got their unique ways of telling me I don't need to do it.
2: We've talked about some pretty cool police stories from over there dealing with the paranormal on the, you know, locking gates that are appear to be coming unlocked at these parks and having uh, uh, visitors just uh, appear out of nowhere and they put them in the back of the car and then go to the next gate and needs to be locked and then the visitor disappears. And it's just uh, some pretty cool stuff from over there.
0: Well, and I have uh, a clip that I posted a while ago, but I'm, I may need to kind of resurface it again from the old Triple C the correctional facility which is supposed to be very haunted but it's still the active facility so you obviously can't go in and do an investigation but I have a source I'm not going to I'm not going to name this person but this source got me this footage from where what looks like to be a white mist moving in their control room and it, it's very slow and it has the shape of a woman but it looks like a nurse that would have been there you know 30 40 years earlier Now, that video has never made it out other than me posting it, but it was definitely an interesting one once you hear the stories about old Triple C.
2: Awesome. Brother, it's been a blast having you on. I thank you so much. Everybody go to KalaniGoCenter.com. You can see everything and every uh, bit of social media that Kalani's on. Definitely check out his TikTok. You can be part of the 1.3 million following. He posts on there on a regular basis, and it's all fun little clips, so go check it out.
0: Appreciate you having me on, Jerry. You have a good rest of your night. All right, brother. You too. Thank you. All right, Tracy, that wraps
2: up this week. We hope everybody enjoyed the situation, and we hope to meet a lot of you next week at the Louisville show.
1: Yes, we, guys, we are so excited, and hope you guys can come out and just have some fun and hang out.
2: Absolutely. It's going to be a blast, and we get to help some uh, veterans out at the VFW post.
1: Yes, we do, and we love that more than anything. We hope you guys have a blessed week. Love ya.